Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. I wanted to announce a new partnership between Coaching You and Zone Sports. You know, for a long time, one of the intangibles by coaches and athletes is team chemistry. And it's a major factor all the time in whether a team has success or failure. When the folks from Interzone came to me at Coaching You and said, we can even help your team, I was all ears. And what we did is we took a quick assessment, two to four minutes each person, and we were stunned by what we found out about ourselves and our team. You owe it to yourself to find out what Interzone can do for your team. It's the simplest and fastest and most accurate software available to measure team chemistry. I highly recommend, without any reservation, the use of Interzone with your team, whether you're a middle school, high school, college, or professional team, to help take you to the next level. For further information, go to coachingyoulive.com slash Interzone. That's I-N-N-E-R-Z-O-N-E. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. I think you're really going to enjoy today. Andy Kennedy, the former 12-year head coach at Ole Miss, is our guest. He's an ESPN SEC Network analyst. I think you'll find him to be an extraordinary guest. Let's take a time out, and we'll be right back. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. 
Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, and so excited today to have Andy Kennedy, the now new SEC analyst and ESPN analyst and former great coach at Ole Miss as our guest today. Welcome, AK. Hey, thanks, coach. Glad to be with you. Well, you know, uh, it's uh, a lot of people that know you and know uh, the 12 incredible years you had with Ole Miss, you know, fail to realize uh, that how hard a job that was and how well you did there. And to see that, you know, you've come out of there as the winningest coach in Ole Miss history and also in the top five of, you know, coaches that, you know, have coached in the SEC. I mean, it, it, it's really amazing. Uh, what has it been now in the year out for you reflecting on that? You know what, Coach, I, I appreciate the comments. I It was a great run for us. I got that job in, in 2006, and the landscape was completely different than, than as, as it is today on a lot of fronts, from an SEC standpoint as well as from an Ole Miss standpoint. Uh, the job and the league have grown tremendously. And uh, when you're in the grind, you know this more than anyone, when you're in the grind, you know, my, my, my grandmother used to say, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. You're, you're, you're just in the day-to-day activity of trying to prepare your team for the next game, the next practice, at the next recruit. What, what are we doing next? So you never have an opportunity to sit back and kind of reflect upon, you know, the process. Uh, this year has been tremendous for me. It's the first in, in 23 years that I hadn't been a part of a, of a team as a staff member. Uh, as a coach, uh, the last 13 as a head coach, I was the interim head coach at Cincinnati for one year prior to coming to Ole Miss for the for the last 12. So it's been weird for me. And, and I know you've been through some transitions as well as it relates to coaching. And it's just a different mentality, but it's given me a, a clear perspective. It's given me kind of a 30,000 foot view of of basketball. It's allowed me to go see a number of different coaches and the way that they approach things, which you never get an opportunity to do when you're coaching your team. So it's been, it's been great for me. It's been great for uh, my perspective and it's been great for my outlook moving forward. You know, one of the things that I, uh, you know, in, in talking to someone, uh, Kevin Eastman and I, when we, we asked Jay Billis once to speak at coaching you and we said, Jay, uh, you go around and get to the opportunity to watch the best coaches in basketball work and you get to go to their practices or and shoot arounds uh and we actually had him do a talk on what he learned uh right. going around and it was incredible because he's such a smart guy and you know he's yep. a he's a lawyer but b he was a former coach but right. what yeah what have you learned what have you learned in going in you're getting to see different teams practice and teams that you're really familiar with uh, what have you What have you learned when you go into their practices? And it's shoot been runs? incredible, Coach, about how everybody is so vastly different in their approach. What it does, it it reconfirms some things in your own mind as to, well, maybe I'm not as stupid as as <laughs> as people thought. You know, maybe you know some of this stuff actually other people are doing, and, and some. It, it, so it reconfirms some things in your own mind 
as to the way that you're you're going about preparing and processing and it also gives you some great insight as to uh, some new ideas some fresh ideas looking at it again from a from a completely different perspective everybody has been so gracious uh, you know, guys that I was, was a competitor with for many, many years, so gracious with, with access and, and having an opportunity to talk ball and to see things from the inside out and to let me in on their film sessions to see how they, they, they do film with their kids in season. So it's been, it's been tremendously educational for me and I've tried to, to use it in that light so that I can improve and grow uh, if I get the opportunity to get back in, you know, the TV stuff has been tremendous. ESPN, the SEC have been, have been great for me in providing a platform and I've, and I've really enjoyed it. I told, uh, my wife early on, I almost feel guilty not being more stressed. I'm pretty stress free. Uh, and that's, and that's a different mindset, uh, as, as, uh, the life of a coach, as you well know. So it, it's been a, it's been a tremendous year. I've learned a lot. I think I've grown throughout this year. Uh, and, uh, I'm excited as we're, you know, getting close to March madness, because I remember that feeling as a coach, you don't really have that same excitement as you do, uh, possibly as a fan, because you're just so deeply entrenched in the growth of your team in the next day. But now as a fan, I'm really, uh, excited about this final stretch of the college basketball season. What have you, uh, from a basketball standpoint, has there been, I think the game is changing at both the NBA and the college level a little bit. Any observances, any observations that you might have seen that, uh, that you said, mm, maybe I would do that if I, on uh, my next job or, or st- whether it be style of play or defensively or things no like that? No question. Yeah. Oh, all the above, Coach, all the above. I, I think, um, you know, we all have a plan in place when we're coaching a team. Mm-hmm. Then I think the best coaches are the ones that can make the necessary adjustments based on personnel. We all say, hey, here's how we want to play, and here's the kind of player that we want. And, you know, this is, this is the culture and the style of which this is our brand at Program X. But then we all have to make adjustments based on strengths and weaknesses of players, based on injuries, adversities that are inevitable in our business over the course of a four- or five-month run. What what I would do, I have seen some things, you know, schematically that I would mm-hmm. change, some things that I like that I never really thought about before. But really, the thing that it's been the best for me is now you, you've always had to be somewhat of a psychologist slash psychiatrist as a head coach in dealing with the members of your team. And I think now in this day and age, more so than ever, the mental is to the physical is four is to one. The mental way that you can approach your kids and make the necessary connections, I think, are vital. Uh, in this day and age in college basketball. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that is uh, <clears throat> maybe, uh, you know, we all like the things that X's and O's rule the day, but the mental side and every great team has been the driving force that I've ever had. And on every team that was bad, that was the reason we were bad. That's right. <laughs> okay, because there was the same place, you know, both well, times. I think the mental approach to dealing with kids in this day and age is so very, very important. And I've always knew the importance of it, but looking at it from a different perspective this season, it even adds to uh, how valuable it is in the recruiting process, in the development of relationship process of making sure 
that you take the right mental approach in order to have success uh, individually and most importantly, collectively as a team. You know, when uh, you played at NC State for one of my best friends, uh, talk about the mental approach, Coach Jim yeah. Valvano. He was so far ahead of the game, Coach, in so many regards that, that you know, no one has ever appreciated real time. And, and, and obviously he was a dynamic uh, coach, but he was, he, was, he was coach AD, which never happened back in those days as, as a basketball coach being the athletic director and the head basketball coach, especially at an ACC school. He was entertainer. He was businessman. He really took the, the business of college basketball coaching to a level that everybody that is, uh, that is making any money in this business right now ought to all gift to the Jimmy V Foundation based on that that and that situation alone. He, he's a lot like Calipari, I think, if you know yeah. what I mean. They're, they're, yeah. bo- they're both absolutely brilliant in what I call the business of basketball. That's right. And they're also, in my opinion, because I've known uh, you know I've known Jimmy so well for years, was he was he was great. In you know life, I mean, he was yep. just he he loved his players, he loved his family, uh, uh, you know, and he was so special. And and I think Cal is the same way, you know. He has such love for his kids, and and you know, the guy, a guy like Cal, that could say uh, when five of his freshmen go to the NBA's what greatest day in Kentucky basketball That's history right. didn't That's exactly right. endear him to the alumni, but <laughs> you know what. Right. I, I, I right. really appreciate what he was saying. Yeah, he well, he's changed. I think, I think, I think you're right. I think Jim Balvano changed the way that the coaching was done uh, from the early '80s on, and I think we're seeing the manifestation of that. You know, here 30 years later, and I think what John Calipari has done during his tenure at Kentucky is not only has he won at an incredible rate, uh, but he's also changed the way that coaching and business is done in college basketball today based on a model that he started, uh, quite frankly, from scratch. Now, granted, he's at Kentucky, and granted, uh, you know, rumor has it they have a pretty good tradition. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, he, he the, the way he's done things has, has been so out of the box, a lot like Jimmy V, that it has changed the way in which people uh, look at things. AK, don't you think that, Cal, if you're a good person – he cares about you as a coach, even though you're coaching the other team? Well, I think this, I think, you know, I've known John Calipari for a long time. You know, I worked with Bob Huggins for four years at Cincinnati and that was back in the old conference USA days where Memphis and Cincinnati were in the league. And, 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 you know, Bob Huggins was pretty dominant at that time. We, we, he had uh, owned the league when Cal came in. And so, and both of them obviously have a, a connection to Pittsburgh and mm-hmm. so Calipari and Hugs were, were have been boys for a long time, and I got an opportunity to meet Coach Cal when I was an assistant with Hugs, and then obviously being in this league for a long time. I think he, I think he cares about coaches. I'll, I'll never forget that when you know he, he's like all of us, man. We're all striving to reach a certain point in our career and to win a certain game and to do this and to do that. Well, Cal's in the Hall of Fame now. He's made more money than he ever spent, uh, and he's and, and he's truly you know, change legislation as it relates to what is best for, you know, not only the kids in his program, but he's trying to get make it best for, for all kids throughout college basketball. And I, and I think that he spends a lot of time, you know, thinking about 
ways in which to make the game better because he's at that point in his career where he's certainly looking at things from a big picture perspective. Uh, I, I think, you know, what people don't realize about you is that you've two of the really, really good, you know, good coaches in the SEC were former assistants of yours. Let's talk about the Cuban godfather, Frank Martin. That's my brother from another mother. Isn't he amazing? He's a great guy. And you're talking about you're talking about if if uh, if the season ended today, South Carolina. Now, South Carolina, there's five games left in the SEC regular season. If the season ended today, Frank Martin would have to be in the top two or three vote getters for SEC Coach of the Year. Uh-huh. They really they were really struggling in their non league. Frank Martin is a is a very passionate coach. He is uh, we're all hard headed. Uh, and, and, and he is that personified like we all are. And he, he, the way South Carolina has always played. Now, remember he took them to a final four. South Carolina had not won a game in the NCAA tournament since 1974. I repeat, South Carolina had not won a game in the NCAA tournament since 1974. I had a, a number of late night conversations with Frank uh, selling him on the opportunity that South Carolina basketball presented when they when they offered him the job, he called me. Mm-hmm. Knew I knew the league, and and I thought it was a great opportunity for him because of the resources, because of the fact that I knew that he could come in and and have success, and he's certainly done so. So he takes him to the Final Four, uh, which, on another note, I really believe was the renaissance moment for the nation to realize that SEC basketball is quality. I don't think last year with getting eight bids, a record high eight bids, was what turned it. I think for South Carolina going to the Final Four, uh, having an opportunity along the way to beat Duke, which is an added bonus, most especially in that area of the country, mm-hmm. I, think it, it, uh, I think it put the focus on the nation of, hey, this is not Kentucky. This is not Florida because of what Billy Donovan had established yeah. there. This is this is somebody that we didn't even know about. Now they're in the Final Four. Hey, man, the SEC must be pretty good. Well, then next year what happened, uh, which was last year, they took advantage of that momentum by getting eight in, and now the narrative has changed, which is the most difficult thing to do in any business, but the narrative has changed nationally of SEC basketball being good, and as a result – Everything now, you know, it's back to a league that's going to be in the position to get six, seven, eight bids every year, which it should be. Uh, Frank came to to us at Cincinnati. I was working for Hugs. He and I worked together for Bob Huggins. Hugs is last year there. Hugs then got into you know a disagreement with administration. <laughs> they ended up making a change. Uh, I became the interim head coach, and Frank and I worked together the first year at Cincinnati. Uh, was was issued into uh, the Big East, the old Big East, the Mike Trinkeasy Big East. Wow! Listen, listen to this, coach. I had never coached. T- I never called a timeout at any <laughs> level. I'd, I'd been an assistant. I'd, you know, I'd never been a high school guy. Never called a timeout. Never sat in the first chair. Well, my first uh, opportunity to do so was in the old Big East. So we go to Madison Square Garden for media day. I'd been named the interim coach six weeks maybe prior, and. Uh, we're doing a team picture, and in that picture is Rick Pitino, <laughs> Jim Calhoun, Jim Beheim, Jay Wright, yada yada yada, and then and then there's little old me. And so when people see that picture today, they say, "Man, I didn't know Photoshop. I didn't know you could Photoshop <laughs> back in those days." Because it look it looks surreal. Like who in the hell is this clown? 
mean, why, how are you standing right there by Jim Beheim and Jim? <laughs> and I never called a timeout. That's so so and so it's crazy. So that year uh, was the first year that ever there were ever eight teams taken out of one league, and that was the old Big East with two number ones because uh, Calhoun was a one at UConn and Jay Wright was a one at Villanova. So that was my that was my inaugural push into uh, into coaching. Frank was right there with me side by side. He's been. He's been a close, close friend for many, many years, and he's and he, you're right. He's one of the best coaches in college basketball. Uh, let, let's stay on Frank, but, but I, I'm going to go back to the Big East coaches in a second. But uh, Frank and I have become very, very close through Billy, through Anthony Grant, you know. Yep. And uh, and, we, and we, Larry Shiat, Billy, myself, yep. we've had this yep. kind of this coaching think tank in August yep. every year. And uh, at Florida, and Frank would come, and uh, and so, you know, he, second he, only to Bob Huggins, maybe one of the most misunderstood coaches in all of college so, basketball. People so, think he, people think he's a raving maniac, and he's he's the furthest from that. Yeah, he you know he he is a very kind, gentle, uh, conscientious guy who really does a lot for the local community. Does a lot for the Hispanic community. Amazing. Does a lot for coaches. Uh, they just see, you know, the, the the little snippets on the sideline where he looks like he's about to bite somebody's face off, <laughs> and that's what they go with. And I get it, but you know, he's he's far from that in so many ways. So I'm giving a talk there at the clinic, uh, non basketball talk on how important it is to love your players. You know, that's the essence of a 20, 15 right. minute talk, but. It was right after Frank had had all the Kansas State stuff where he's screaming and yelling and staring at, you know, all that stuff. Right. And so while while I'm talking, he keeps looking at me, and now he's staring at me. And I'm like, oh, no. I'm going, oh, shit. He's going to bite. He's going to punch me as soon as I And so now I uh, keep looking at him, and I said, the greatest gift that you can have to your players is to believe in them and to love them, serve them, and care for them. Five o'clock in the morning, I get a text from Frank. I'm going back to South Carolina. You've changed my life, and I, I and and he he just his greatest quality, I think, as you said, he's a great defensive coach, maybe one of the three or four best I've seen in college basketball, but. His ability to love those kids and nurture them and develop them is just awesome, I think. Well, he's he's a lot like Bob Huggins. Bob Huggins is my mentor in this business, one of my best friends. And and, and Huggs is, is, is probably the most misunderstood guy in college basketball. It took a tragedy. If you remember Deshaun Butler, Huggs takes West Virginia's alma mater to the Final Four a few years back, and Deshaun Butler, who was his best player, goes down in the semifinals against Duke with a torn ACL. Mm. And you remember Hugs came out on the floor and basically laid on top of him. Yeah. You remember that? Yep. He got down on all fours and, 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 and had Deshaun's head in his hands like a newborn child comforting him in that moment. And that that is probably – a moment that people said, man, maybe Bob Huggins is a good guy. Yeah, yeah Bob Huggins is a good guy. Yeah. You know, it, it took something tragic like that for him to do what he does every day for the nation to see it. But he's another guy that is so terribly misunderstood because people just see this one moment of him, you know, walking the sideline like a raging lion. But the reality is you can't coach guys that hard unless they know you love them. 
and and Frank does it, and he's done it for his whole career. Hugs has done it for damn near thirty years, coach, and and his teams respond to it because they know that it's genuine and sincere. Uh, Hugs is an incredible defensive coach, I think, and I've never seen anyone in college ball. Obviously, no one in pro ball does it, but that last the last couple of years at uh, West Virginia Tech, I've never seen a team press after a missed shot. Yeah, and, right. And I don't even know how the hell you teach it, but to me, it I'm in awe of it. And yeah. he and the, how hard he gets players to play. That's how I judge coaches: how hard teams play, right? And do they play together and all that? And he right. has all of those things that go in. That's what greatness is about. How, how what? And I know we talk about the love of him and the. And every player I've ever talked to absolutely loves the guy. How how does he bring that out in practice, let's say, or in the games, or just in running his program? That you, sir, when you saw him working with him, how was that transformed? Well, pe- people, uh, coach, people used to ask me all the time, man. What you know? What makes what makes hugs hugs? How has he been so successful for so long with so many different styles? And so many different players and so many different programs. How's he done it? And I said, really, you know, it's it, it's not, you know, this great offense or this great defense or this great preparation or this great offseason workout. It's none of that. He's obviously good in all of those areas, but it's just his will is so strong. He, mm-hmm. he will not allow his players, and Frank's very similar, he will not allow his players to cut corners. Everything, the standard is such that he is going to hold you to that standard each and every day. And and that is strictly based on strength of will. You know this. It is a long season. And when you have a, and unfortunately, you know, Hugs has got a, 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 you know, one of his worst teams ever this year. And do you know how much, and you know this, especially with young guys and the way the college game has changed now. It's so transient. Guys are transferring left and right. Guys are going pro, doing this, doing that. You very seldom have a group together more than a couple of years. And so it takes an extreme amount of energy as a coach to go in each and every day and say, okay, by God, today, here's what we're going to get accomplished. And I am not going to allow them not to reach this standard. That's that is is what makes Bob Huggins special. Mm. His ability to do that day in and day out comes back to strength of will, and as a result, he's going to go down as he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that's already got what eight hundred some odd wins, some ridiculous number of wins. It's even hard for me to fathom that when you say it. Taking multiple teams to a Final Four and truly has been one of the greatest coaches of of, of my generation. Uh, and and uh, less than a, a national championship. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, it takes winning a national championship for people to, to realize that. And it's happened for, for, for a lot of coaches throughout time. But this guy has, has – that's the only thing missing from, I think, him being in that first breath of greatest coaches of our era. Uh, you'll appreciate this. So, so the year between uh, – one of the years between when he was at Cincy before he went to K-State, right? Yep. He uh, he came. I was running the Knicks with Isaiah, and all, he, Hugs came to one of our games at the Garden. And I said hello to him, sat with him for a minute, and I said, "Are you getting back?" And he just smiled at me. He says, "I think so," and he just smiled. Yeah. That's all he would say. Yeah. All right. Fast forward, he gets a job at K State. Frank and I are doing a clinic in uh, in Florida, 
it'll default two summers from there. And he says, uh, I said, how do you ever end up, you know, you know, out in, uh, you know, K-State? He says, that's the easy part. He said, the hard part was convincing my wife to go there. And he says to her, honey, we're moving to Manhattan. <laughs> and yeah, she thinks yeah. she's going to the Big Apple. New York City, right? The, the Big Apple, not the little <laughs> not one. Not the little one. But, you know, and, and I was so happy when Hugs went to West Virginia that Frank goes there and and takes over at K State and just let me tell you, let me tell, let me tell you a funny story, yeah. Coach. I, I could I could we could talk for three hours on my one year at Cincinnati with all the different moving parts as you can imagine. You know, uh, me being named the interim coach, they had a change in athletic director. The, the president who had dismissed Hugs was in amidst turmoil. I mean, it was quite a chaotic scene. <laughs> and so, so we're playing. We're playing. Uh, Dave Odom is at South Carolina winning the NIT quarterfinals, and. Uh, my athletic director finally allowed me permission to speak to other schools. So I had spoke to Ole Miss that day. So we're preparing to play South Carolina that night on ESPN. Winner goes to New York City for the NIT Final Four. Hugs is being introduced that day as the head coach at Kansas State. Uh, We go out, and, and when I go to the meeting with Ole Miss that morning, the morning of the game, I've got my full team intact. They're on the quarter system at Cincinnati, so we were in a bit of a break. It was right around spring break time, and we were in a bit of a break. So I come back, and I get up. My phone's blowing up. I had my phone off as I was talking to the Ole Miss people, and uh, I turned my phone on. My phone's blowing up. I have to go to the compliance office. So they basically, uh, the old chancellor, who shall remain nameless, uh, basically said, and you know, we've had enough of this because it was, you know, there was a lot of groundswell of support. You know, Andy needs a job. Andy needs a job. That was never in the cards. Not that I didn't appreciate Cincinnati and and love what Hugs had built, but they just fired my best friend. There was no way in hell I was taking that job. Right. Uh, so I'm I'm just doing this because we had five seniors that we had brought in there, and it was right. You know, they didn't ask for this, so it was right for you know one of us to try to guide us through this process. So. That's the reason I was the interim coach. Well, anyway, I get back and they had suspended. I had a kid named James White who led oh, us in scoring. He was a first no team all Big East player. Great yeah, kid. from Florida. Great kid. Right. Played a play, right. Uh great player from 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 uh you know you taught James him how White, to, White. you joined him how to jump AK. Exactly. From the free throw <laughs> line, put it between your legs, dunk it. Uh well he was a he, he ended up having a tremendous year for me that year. It was first team all Big East. They had suspended him because he had a couple of incompletes on his transcript. So he got suspended. And then my second lead scorer, a kid named Jihad Muhammad, got suspended. Well, at the time, Brendan, we had eight scholarship players that we got through the year with. So now we were down to six scholarship players. They suspended them both going into the game. So as I go to shoot around, I didn't even I mean, we're prepared. So we were like, hey, okay, they've shut us down. They've tried to shut us down. Long story short, we lose a one possession game to South Carolina. I accept the Ole Miss job that night. Hugs had just accepted the Kansas State job. Uh, Cincinnati hired Mick Cronin, and the rest is history. We all meet at a at a bar. Uh, me, Hugs, Frank, all our people. We meet at a bar after my game that night and have this big celebratory <laughs> deal, and then we all get on planes and go to our next destination. That's a true story. That is great. That is yeah. great. That's why you listen to this podcast. You find out that <laughs> this is great. Talk about. The uh, the young guy that who's it had to be thrilling for you to do the game the other, you know get you know Florida LSU and one of your former guys Mike White is coaching Florida 
What's what that like to a, have one of that that happen? Well, I, I, and Mike and I, let me tell you this. Mike, you know, was a, was a really good player at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. And then I got to know Mike. He was an assistant for Mike LaPlante. Mike LaPlante gave him his first job at Jacksonville State. I was an assistant at UAV back in the day. Okay. So back in those days, you know, we're all driving all over the country and just trying to find players. So Mike and I would be in some gym in remote, you know, uh, BF, Alabama, and, and, you know, trying to find a player. So we got to know each other, and I could see his grind and how hard he worked. And Mike LaPlante just just loved him about, dude, this guy gets it, man. He's a great coach. He's a, he's, he can relate to players. He works 20 hours a day, blah, blah, blah. So so, so I, I, I really, you know, I got to know Mike through that. Mike then goes and works, gets hired by Rod Barnes, the guy that was before mm-hmm. me at Ole Miss for one year. Rod ends up getting let go. I get the job. So Mike was a former player from there. He'd been on staff only one year. You know, it's very unusual for you to keep somebody from a former staff, Absolutely. especially if they get let go. Yeah. Well, I knew Mike from the Jacksonville State days. I knew that he knew Ole Miss a lot better than I did, and I knew that he was good. So I retained him, and he worked for me for five years. He was like my lead assistant. Uh, he was really good. He helped us kind of get that thing jump-started and, and, you know, have some early success, which led to, you know, me being able to, to be there for over a decade. He got an opportunity to go to Louisiana Tech. I'll never forget this. I get a call from C.M. Newton. The late great CM Newton, one of the greatest, one of the greatest men. He's he should be on the Mount Rushmore of college basketball right. influencers, uh, and you know that. And and CM, uh, I ended up I had the the, the the special privilege of calling him a friend. He recruited me out of high school when he was at Vanderbilt. I, he was kind of a uh, a mentor to me. So CM calls me. He was asked by the AD at Louisiana Tech to, you know, to help him in this search. And he asked me about Mike White. And it says, this is ironic. I never even told CM this. I'm in the car with Mike. Mike is driving me. Mike, Mike, we're going to recruit a kid in, in Arkansas. So Mike's driving. I'm in the passenger seat of his car selling CM Newton to Mike White's the guy. Is Mike sitting there listening? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I'm selling Coach Newton like, hey, man, this is a no-brainer. You know, he's ready. Blah, blah, blah. So CM, you know, told the AD, and two days later, Mike gets a Louisiana Tech job. Boy, that is so, great. So then from Louisiana Tech, he did a great job there, and he gets Florida. And I think he's done a tremendous job. And, and the win, you know, he had a great win against Alabama in Tuscaloosa, which I think gave new life to his team. Yes. And then they go in, and they go in against LSU and, uh, and, and got a quad one road win. Now all he's got to do is try to keep it in the road. I think now with what they've done, if he can get to nine and nine in the SEC, he's going to get back to the tournament for the third straight time uh, in his four years there. Jeez, wouldn't that be amazing? And and we both know uh, the hardest thing to do is to take over for a legend, right? Oh, it's impossible. <laughs> and, right? And, and he knew that. He and, knew yeah, that, but he knew he knew how special Florida could be. You know, we talked about that, and he was like, you know. People are going to think I'm crazy, but I just, you know, Florida's a special job, special place. Uh, and he walked in there and embraced that. And Billy left and, the cover fairly full, you know, which is good. To, you know, yeah, good guards. You usually know, you they leave it with, empty, you know, but, you know, it kind of right. left it okay for him. Uh, that's right. You know, with Dodo and, and you know, Ibugu was really good the first year. And Chris, and Chris Chioza really was the guy oh, that kind man. of solidified it for yeah. Mike. And it's, what's ironic, and I said this on the air the other day, Coach, that, Kevon Allen had signed with Billy and the Florida Gators early, 
uh, Mike gets the job. The best recruiting job Mike White has done is keeping Kevon Allen. That was going to go that down. was I mean, a great point you made on the telecast. And yeah, he, you know, he keeps I forgot Kevon about Allen, who ends up way. having a great run. Yeah. No, and that and that and that that is so important. And he's a very personal guy, but he's a, for a young person, he's very serious too. Uh, yeah, a lot more serious than I've ever been in coaching, but he's really yeah, me too. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, one day I'll mature to that level. I'm looking promising. When, so I, I'm fascinated by the the truthfulness uh, of never calling a timeout, and now you're going into the best conference in basketball at the time was the Big East. Uh, I feel oh, yeah. better than the ACC. Yeah. Everything. Okay, yeah. so you're going against Bayheim, Patino, and those guys. What what is it like? Uh, coaching against those guys because each of them is unique and has their own unique style of play. Yeah, and then, you know John Beeline was at West Virginia at the time, which wow. he was running that one three one, which nobody ever ran. So that you're right, there were a lot of different unique styles. Who was so who was that? Uh, was uh, was our friend uh, Ben Helen at Pitt still, or was Jamie there? No, no, you know, um, and uh, uh, no, Jamie was there. Jamie was there. Uh, okay, Jamie was there, and, that, and they were rolling. Yes, they had and uh, and JT three was at uh, was at Georgetown and they had uh, Roy Hibbert, Jeff Green. So, I mean, it was like, bro, it was a who's who of basketball. It yeah. really was. Uh, uh, and and I just you know the one thing that I did, I literally you know I'm a man who walks by faith, coach. Yeah. And and I, I didn't I didn't worry about the future. I had a contract through March. Uh, I just kind of said, man, I'm going to embrace these kids. I'm gonna work with Frank and I. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna lock arms, man, and we're gonna just kind of grind through this and see what happens, and just trust that it's all gonna work out. And it did. We didn't, you know, I didn't even have a resume. I didn't, you know, I wasn't making it. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have anything. I was just gonna coach my team and do the best that I could. They set the schedule up too, you know, because you know TV people in the conference they're gonna set the schedule in like July, August. I get the job in like September. Uh, so the schedule was set. The schedule was set, thinking that Bob Huggins is going to be the head basketball. So you got a lot of TV games, and we got and we got all the big boys twice. We played Louisville twice. We played yeah, and we're on Big Monday. So this was the, the great, the great, the greatest trio in my opinion in in, in college basketball commentating. And and you got to remember, I'm old enough. When I was at NC State, we would have Dick Emberg and Al McGuire almost wow. every Saturday, and almost every Saturday. Uh, and so I was, I had a number of big Monday games with McDonough, Raffery, and Billis. I mean, I mean, are you kidding me? Those and, were the great that, days, right? That the was old big hysterical Monday days. television, you know, no one like Raff. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, he's the best there's ever been. So, uh, so I, I'm doing all these games and, and Frank and I would joke about it. Like, Hey, we'd say, are you shitting me, man? We're back on national TV again tonight. We were trying to stay under the radar because, you know, there were nights where we would get beat by 25 and then we would turn around and win the next night by 15. We're dead man walking and we go into the carrier dome in front of 24,000 and pop them by 20. You know, uh, it, it was just a magical, magical ride for us. If you remember the run that Jerry McNamara made to the Big East tournament, I was there. He, yeah, I was he, there. Well, he started it. it against us. We were in the eight nine game, and he had a one foot runner yes. with yeah. point three on the clock to beat us by one. That started the run. Yeah, uh, gosh, uh, yeah, crazy. That, crazy. That's fantastic. What an experience! Now, when when you go through that though, AK, now you have confidence that 
I hate to say it, now you, any doubts as an assistant, whenever you take, I don't care where you coach, when you go from assistant to head coach, I don't care if you've won national championship, all of a sudden you go, I hope I can do it. And then yeah, all of a sudden of you said, I, I can do it. And, and, and I would say, to your point, Coach, and it helped me because it, it gave me a confidence. And I was still young and dumb and didn't even know what I didn't know. I, I used to tell my freshmen all the time, I'll bring them all in and say, listen, guy, you don't even know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Just just, just, just try to try hard every day and, and listen. And, and as a sophomore, you're going to come in here and laugh and be like, well, what a dumbass I was. I didn't know anything. So as a, as a first-year head coach, you're kind of like that. So then I take the old Miss job. And the experience at Cincinnati was such that, that that I felt like we could come in there and win. And by God, we came in there and, you know, first year we won 21. The second year we won 24. And, you know, off we were and running because because I, I was ignorant enough to think that I could do it. And maybe that was the fortitude we needed to do it. I'm going to tell you something now. I got to coach against you a couple of times in the SEC when I was at LSU, and and, and we had a hard time with that Ben Simmons character. Yeah, well, he, I, he, he wasn't yeah, an easy I, matchup. He was he wasn't shit till I started working with him. <laughs> 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 but let me so so one of our best friends, yours and is Al Pinkins, okay, who is yeah, our sister, and and I I love this guy. And uh, and so and so you know how this college crap works. Where now you know in the pros, I did fifteen hundred scouts. I did every scout for fifteen years, and all of a sudden I come here and Johnny Jones in my interview says, "You do every third one." He says, uh, "Brendan, uh, do you know how to do a scout?" And I laughed. I thought he was joking with me. He said, "What do you mean? Do I know how to do one?" He says, "Have you ever done one?" I said, "Yeah, I've done, I've done a few." Yeah, I said, "No, that's not a problem." He said. Yeah, he said you, 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 it won't be a problem for you to do it. I said, no, it's fine, Johnny. And so, but we get to, they want to divide up the thing. And right. so, uh, so. So obviously, Alex going to get old. So Pinkin says, I, I, I got old Miss. I got old Miss. He says, I, I know Andy. I know Andy. And so, and so all of a sudden we go and play in the first game. And I remember at LSU and you got my man from, Florida from Orlando, Stefan Moody. Yeah, uh, Moody yeah. And I love this guy. I love this yeah. guy from high school on. And all of a sudden, and Al says, oh, "We're gonna, you know, we're we're gonna do is we're gonna get up there. We're gonna trap him." And, and Andy keeps moving the pick and rolls higher and higher. We're freaking trapping you almost at half court, and this guy's <laughs> splitting them and going there. And and, and, and I said, "How's that working out, Al?" How's that? You know, he said, "Yeah." AK's got some shit now. AK's got some shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was great. And I, I tell you what, I think you're one of the best offensive minds I've seen in college ball. I well, think the things you that you do that. offensively, when, and, 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 and even through the years, not coaching against you, I thought uh, no matter who you had, you made sure, and this is, I think, one of the biggest problems for college coaches is you know, whether you want to play equal opportunity offense. And I think it's all about getting your best player shots. And I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in it, Coach. And we had a kid named Marshall Henderson. I was, my best I was team thinking here. of him. Yep. Yeah, my best team here, we were able to win the SEC tournament. We won 27 games. We beat Bo Ryan in the NCAA tournament, which was incredible. That's another story. How about this? So we go, we win the, we win the SEC tournament. We get sent to Kansas City. It's a snowstorm. We're playing Bo Ryan in Wisconsin. And I think at the time, Bo Ryan had never lost a first round. We're talking about a great coach. He had never lost a first round game in, 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 while in Division One. He's always won his first round. So oh we, take, we take our team to the College Basketball Hall of Fame, which is right there in mm-hmm. Kansas City. And as we walk in, God is my witness, the first picture on the wall is Bo Ryan. 
So, so <laughs> I'm thinking about David. This is our scout, time. guys. Yeah, yeah, this is. Hey, I'm walking in. I'm like, yeah, this is the guy we're playing tomorrow. Uh, and and lo and behold, uh, guess who's doing the game? Marv Albert and Steve Kerr. And Craig Sager's the sideline reporter. You can't make this up. Oh, wow. So, so Craig Sager's the sideline reporter. Steve Kerr and Marv Albert, uh, oh two God. legends in their own vein, right? Uh, they're, they're doing the game. This was when True TV or whoever was yeah. doing the game. So, so uh, we're down. And this was the year before Wisconsin went to the Final Four. Okay, and so so they got a they got a team, uh, and I think it's maybe the twelve five game or something. Anyway, yeah. so uh, uh, Marshall Henderson hits his first shot, misses his next thirteen. We're down by like nine with like seven to play, which is which is you know back back in those games, Bo Ryan was trying to beat you forty five to forty four. You know those yeah. were those days, and so you're down you're down seven with nine or nine with seven to play. You're you know you're you might as well be down thirty. <laughs> well, Marshall Henderson ends up making five of his last six. We win the game by eleven. Oh my! God. Afterwards, afterwards, I've known Steve Kerr forever because I tore my ACL at UAB in the eighties. Well, I remember I'm sitting there as a white shooter. Remember Steve Kerr tore his, and back in those days, you know, it was death to a player. Well, I tore mine, so I'd actually been in contact with Steve Kerr. It's kind of they kind of put me in contact with me as encouragement. Here's what I did. Here's how I came back. So I've known him from way back when. Great. So so Kerr's got before we're on air. He's like, bro. He said he said, how in the world? I mean, the kid's one for thirteen, and you're still running plays for him. Because I was like, hell. I mean, if you look at the rest of my team. I mean, what are my options here? <laughs> I mean, I, mean, you know, I got a, I got a, I got a dance with who brought me. So we end up winning the game. So that was my best team. My point being. He that year, Marshall Henderson. You can look this up. Marshall Henderson set the NCAA record for most three pointers attempted. He still holds it. Most three pointers attempted by an individual in a season. He set the NCAA record. He still holds it. He shot more than anybody in the history of basketball. He shot more than nine different teams did, and yet it was right for our team sure. because we had great success. So. To your point, I've always tried to find the strength of our team, and we're going to ride that strength until the other team makes us look for for a counter. I think counters are overrated, man. Stay to your strength. No, and I I, I think that's what I really saw, and 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 you, but I I I, and then the following year, uh, after uh, Moody left. You know, we went into Oxford to play, and my God, you know, you got so much out of those kids, and the stuff you ran for them, I, I, I just thought it, it was as good as anything I've seen in college ball in the last decade, and and I, I just think that well, you, that's what that. makes you a great coach is that you maximize the talent of your team, which is the essence of coaching. And I agree, uh, you know, and and but defensively, where I is where I think you're very very underrated. And that I think you get teams to play the way they don't want to. And well, you know this, Coach. You, you've been a great coach, and you, you've been around the game a long time. Tell me your philosophy, because I believe this. There's certain guys like Bob Huggins, and everybody changes a little bit now. Sure. But Bob Huggins is like, hey, this is what we're doing, and by God, beat us on it. We ain't changing. We ain't, we are not, we're not going to mix and match. I remember when I was working for him, Bobby Lutz, who was a great coach at UNC Charlotte. Yep. Bobby Lutz used to do a lot of changing. He'd change his zones. He would do this, he would, and he'd just keep you off balance. Jimmy V did that when I, yep, when I played for Coach Marvano. Yep. Jimmy V was a big changer. Tim Floyd was a guy that would throw a triangle and two on you, unconventional. 
and I just believe that if your personnel is is superior, then you can line up and just say, hey, man, here's what we're doing, and you try to beat us. But at an Ole Miss, you're never going to have the best personnel in the SEC. So I felt like it was more advantageous for us based on the, the dynamics of the job to keep people confused and to keep them off balance. And that's why we developed a, a strategy of, of changing and trying to keep people a little bit off balance based on confusing their looks. I, I think it's excellent. And, you know, and I remember when Patino was at Providence and had that great run and he was then coming back, you know, you know, uh, you know, to the NBA, I think he came back to the Knicks as a head coach and he and I happened to ironically be doing a clinic and, and I was sitting in the back of the room and what I, you know, and I was coaching, I think the Hawks at the time. And he, he, and he saw me back there and he and I were the original five-star campers, you know I mean? So we've yeah. known each other. And he said, you know, he said, when I, when I coach in the NBA and, and he says, I know, and, you know, and I wasn't working for Chuck Daly at the time, but he says, I know if I'm going against E.B. Brown, who he had worked for and I had, and Chuck Daly and people like that, Larry Brown, he said they got 40 or 50 great man-to-man plays. He right. said, so at college, he says, I'm going to play zone because you only have maybe three or four or That's five right. or six plays. That's right. That's and you know what? Completely different. You're right. I, I, I said, my God, the... It's so freaking simple, but so smart, you know, playing within the rules of that game. And and I thought it was brilliant. And I thought you did a great job of disguising which zone you're in, whether you're in a 1-3-1 and then it, you know, went to a 2-3 after. And the shot clock, you know, dropping the shot clock down. You know, back in the day, it it was not as advantageous because you didn't have a clock. And then when it was at 45, okay, you got plenty. But now you drop that clock a little bit. If you put some pseudo pressure, change your look, you look up, you've got – you know, 12, 13, 14 on the clock, uh, it limits what the offensive team can do. If you were, if you were, uh, uh, the basketball commissioner of NCAA, which, you know, we need, but if you were, uh, <laughs> what would you do with the shot clock? Would you go from 30 to 24? I would not. I think okay. it's a bad idea. Uh, okay. simply because in the NBA, all five guys on that court can create their own shot. If, if you're lucky in college, if you've got three guys on your whole team that can go make plays by themselves anytime they want, I think the shot. I think the shot clock. I think it, it, it would lend itself to to uh, worse shot selection and a more ragged game. I don't think it's good for the development of the game. Mm-hmm. There are some things that I would change, though. I do think, and I think that this will happen maybe next year when we're in a rules year. I'm a big believer, and it just, you know, it cost Kentucky, the LSU-Kentucky game, you know, the controversy with the end, ball on the rim. I think we should play FIBA rules live on the rim, eliminate all that. Because officials are, are, are trained now to not even look at the flight of the ball. They're just watching all the contact inside. Exactly. So let's eliminate that. Uh, ball hits the rim, it's live. Play it live off the rim. Also, you get an offensive rebound. Let's reset it to 18. Let's don't go back to 30. You know what I mean? Ball comes off the rim. Let's 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 reset the clock to 18, much like they do in the NBA. I'm NBA a, I'm is now 14, of, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. 14 out of 24. Yeah, so no, no, no. Eight, I know, I know. You, yep. you went. I know you went to UAB. I went to Montclair State. So you, I was about you to say. That, I mean, if I'm talking too fast, I mean, I mean, <laughs> and, then, and then and then I would do. I like the the, the fact that I think it'll change. I think you know if you call a timeout. 
before you advance the ball, you get a chance to take it at half court. I think that'll happen. I'm a, I'm a big believer in uh, freedom of movement. So I like the NBA and one rule. You know, they are, they're always wanting to increase scoring. I like the N1 rule. I'm driving to the basket, coach. You reach and foul me. If I don't put it back on the floor and I take a step and finish, it should count. I like that rule. Yes. I don't know why we don't use it. Uh, so some things like that I think uh, I think would make a lot of sense in enhancing the game without going overboard. We're a country of going overboard, overcorrection. We always want to overcorrect everything. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I hope our game doesn't fall prey to that. It's a great game. It's never been better from a popularity standpoint. I saw something recently that, they, that they're now going to put back possibly as a bargaining chip in this collective bargaining agreement of allowing kids to come out of high school. I'm in favor of that. Uh, I think we've got to do something about the one-and-done culture uh, but that's really an NBA thing more than an NCA thing. And sometimes yeah, it's totally, it's totally, it's totally the union yeah. and yeah. the NBA. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think there's some things that we can do to continue to enhance the game and, uh, and rules wise, you know, those are a few that I would think about. I'm going to give you one more. The NCA men's basketball is the only league in the world. Doesn't play quarters. Doesn't play quarters. Here's, here's what I like and don't like about it. Okay. I like the fact that, it makes the game go a little bit faster. Here's what I don't like. It eliminates the one-and-one. One. I think one, the one-and-one one is such a vital, strategic part of the game. And, you know, it eliminates the one-and-one. One. Uh, on every fifth foul, it's just two-shot foul. I wish we could figure out a way to keep the one-and-one one in play. Then I'd be all for it. I got you. I got you. Let me uh, tell you my last one. Let me tell okay, you my last uh, one. This is and, good. And, and, I love this, and, man. And, let me tell you my last one, and this is really out of the box. But we're also the only sport in the world that the best player can be eliminated. Can thank file you, out. thank you, thank you. Hey, I, I have I, a list here a, I keep in my wallet. So I, I go ahead. You're you're right on now, brother. When I when I get the czar, and it could happen any day now. You and I, I'm czar, coming with you. They, I'll, move, I'll czar, move to Birmingham. <laughs> I, I, we'll, we'll just do it out of Baton Rouge. When, <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll sit there and look at the mighty Mississippi every day. That fog, God, that holy cow! Sometimes it's tough to get in there. But when 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 I become czar, I think this, and there's still strategy in it. Okay, uh, Brennan Sir picks up his fifth foul. Okay, it's his fifth foul. He's got to go. No, he doesn't have to go. Now we just play it like normal. Now if Brennan Sir picks up his sixth. It's two shots and the ball for the other team. What do you mean two shots and the ball? Well, now there's strategy. So I can play you. Hey, seventh, two shots and the ball. Eighth, two shots in the ball. That so that would make you as a coach still have to use strategy into whether or not your value is such that I can risk that. Because obviously, if you pick up five, we're you know, and I've still got you in the game. It's a tight game. What are we going to do? Just two shots in the ball. Mm-hmm. That's all. Uh, so so you know, it's eighty two eighty, and you're their best player, and I go at you, and you foul me, and now it's eighty two eighty two, and I get the ball back. It really makes you still use strategy. It would eliminate everybody panicking about how transient college basketball is. Everybody's got typically six, seven, if you're lucky, eight guys that you can put in the game and have somewhat of a level of trust in. The difference is the great teams have this quality of depth. I think it would help the mid-majors. It would help the low major. It would help the high majors because we all are dealing with it. Roster turnover, roster issues. If you could play your best players, you ain't worried about who's 9, 10, 11, and 12 because you're going to play those top eight, and you just use strategy accordingly. What do you think about it? 
Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Here's, here's, I'm going to add some because we're on a roll now, baby. I think the technical foul counting as a personal foul might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Okay, that's that's one of mine. I mean, is there, someone said, well, they need it to control the game. If you can't, you're making $3,500. You can't control the damn game. You shouldn't be working it, okay? I agree. Okay, so that's, that's the one. Uh, I think we should have six fouls because okay. you've had great players. I had Ben Simmons. Okay, and all yep. I know is every time we were on the road, Ben Simmons had two fouls in the first five minutes of the game, and he came and became an assistant coach. Because, yep. all right, and then now if we get the third foul in the first half and a three for the game, I think it would be better. Uh, and the last one is in the last minute only of play, I think we should allow the coach to call a timeout and advance the ball so that he doesn't look like a jackass when he can't. he throws the ball away with two seconds to go. I know the college guys don't understand how important that would be, but the women coaches have understood it and has embraced them. And I just think guys no, like agree. you I would agree. have you plays out of your you ass that would look great. And I also think coaches ought to, ought to always be able to call timeout. I don't understand the fact that a coach can't call timeout. Well, who in the world put that rule in? Which coach voted for that? They should be fired. Yeah, come on, come on. My, fr- my friend, A.K., you are spectacular. I love watching you on TV, but I really enjoy you coaching, and uh, I really appreciate you spending time. Man, it's been, it's been great, Coach. My pleasure. It's always great talking with you. Well, hey, listen, uh, finish up the year great, and then I'm going to look for you in the sidelines, man, uh, and I can't wait to watch you coaching back in the game, and whenever it happens, whenever it happens, but you're great on TV, and you're great for the game. Hey, thank you very much, Coach. Thanks, A.K., I'll tell you what, this is this is going to go down as one of the most fun, memorable podcasts we've had because Andy Kennedy is one of those people that I could literally do a three-hour podcast with. He's extraordinary. He's funny. We did a half hour before we even came on the air. He is exceptional. He's a great coach. He's a great coach. And a terrific analyst, a great listen. I think we're going to hear a lot more from AK Andy Kennedy. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Serve.